Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Together, we'll talk about the beauty of in-person worship and the benefits that a live stream simply cannot replicate. One of the strangest terms to my ears coined over the past 12 months is this, in-person worship. If you'd use the words in-person worship with my pre-pandemic self, I would have had to scratch my head. In-person as opposed to what? Is there even such a thing as worship that's not in-person? Well, things have changed a lot since then, and it's probably still too soon to understand the implication of all these changes. But in this episode, Cameron and I are going to take a crack at it anyway. We'll talk about the introduction of live stream worship services and what it's meant to the life of the church, and whether there's something about our particular style of worship at Grace, something liturgical and participatory, let's say incarnational, that simply cannot be replaced by remote broadcasts. We'll also ask whether it's a good idea to skip church on a lazy Sunday and watch the live stream instead although I think you can guess what the answer to that question will be. The New York Times recently published an editorial by Colin Hansen about the effects of live streaming on worship. Hansen works for the Gospel Coalition and is the author of the 2008 book Young, Restless, and Reformed. He was born here in South Dakota, just half an hour away from us here in Sioux Falls. The editorial begins with a story that perfectly illustrates the surreal twists and turns of the pandemic. In order to meet in person, Hansen's church has been gathering in a parking garage for the past year. He was surprised when his three-year-old daughter pointed to a parking structure and said, Look, a church! To her, it was a natural enough association. For as much of her life as she could remember, her church had met in a structure just like that, so when she saw the parking garage, it naturally read to her as a church. But for her dad, uh, you can imagine what the conflicted feelings were that that remark would have inspired. Now bear with me for a minute, because I'm going to make a left-field connection here. Early in his book, Swan's Way, Marcel Proust describes the feeling that he had when he glimpsed a building that reminded him of the church in Combray, where he'd grown up. It wasn't a particularly beautiful building as medieval churches went. Uh, Once he grew up, of course, he went on to discover other buildings. He became acquainted with the architectural masterpieces of the cathedrals at Chartres and Reims. Those buildings, he could process intellectually and aesthetically. He could see that they were objects of beauty. But when he glimpsed, as he says, a rough and unusually high wall with windows pierced far above and the same asymmetrical appearance as the apse of Combray, his heart leapt and he involuntarily exclaimed, The church! 
Uh, Proust is the master of memory, and the way the church of his youth imprinted itself on his mind is profound. He writes, Every part of the church that one could see distinguished itself from all other buildings by a sort of thoughtfulness that was infused into it. But it was in the steeple that it seemed to become aware of itself. It was the steeple that spoke for it. When we build churches these days, they tend to be big boxes, pragmatic, multi-purpose structures that don't have any of the thoughtfulness that Proust describes. They don't proclaim the values of the people who meet inside the way old church buildings used to. At least, I hope they don't, because the message wouldn't be very flattering. Better than a parking garage, you might be thinking. But in the editorial, which we'll link to in the show notes, Hansen is actually grateful for the physical meeting space, as surreal as it is. The alternative would be not meeting for in-person worship at all. Having his daughter mistake a parking garage for a church building might actually be preferable to having her think of church as something that only happens on screen, only another show. As you listen to this, maybe you've made peace with live streaming as a necessary evil. And then again, maybe it seems like the best thing ever. Whatever your thoughts, I hope this conversation will help you better appreciate what is missing when we do not or cannot assemble together. Well, Pastor Mark, I am happy that Grace as a church has been back together in person worshiping for several weeks now. But I was I was wondering if we could talk about the crazy year that you might have just had leading a church through the pandemic. And I'm I'm particularly interested in some conversations going around right now in the church about the effects of live streaming and just how technology has kind of made its way into the church forcefully in in these new kinds of ways. So maybe first off, I would just be interested to hear what was it like having to pivot and navigate through the through the process of connecting with the church remotely basically. Well, I mean, there's some evidence of the craziness of it in what you just said because you said it's been a few weeks since we've been meeting together. <laughs> In person, and it's been like a year and a few weeks. Yeah, okay. <laughs> technically, uh, because we've been having in-person worship services since uh, late June of 2020. Right. But it was pretty recent that that we had a more like back to normal transition, uh, especially where administration of communion and and the arrangement of seats and that sort of thing is back the way it used to be. And Lord willing, we pray it will remain that mm-hmm. way for the foreseeable future. But to answer your question, it was really difficult, especially early on, to adjust to this strange new world, trying to um, reorient the life of the church in accord with these uh, pandemic protocols that essentially took off the table a lot of what is essential Hmm. to the life of the church. Um, We 
meet together on the Lord's Day every week. We meet uh, other times besides that. And when we meet, we're together and we sing together and we uh, touch one another and we take bread and take wine. And like there's all these things that are essential to our worship and to, to have to either deny ourselves those things or experience them in a in a, a more modified way was really hard for everyone, I mm-hmm. think. And and for me to lead through that process was challenging. And and I would be the last person to to say that I did it especially well. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've we've gotten through it together. Okay, so what do you think are some of the lessons that you've learned on the other side as of as of now, on the other side of the pandemic? Um, through the process of live streaming and all the rest? Probably the biggest lesson is that we survived it and that wasn't a foregone conclusion. You know, when we first had this conversation in March 2020, the elders and I talking about how do we approach what's going on right now, um, I have to admit, I was really concerned about the impact of measures like this, especially on a church like ours, because Grace is a church that is very focused on community and very focused on uh, word and sacrament and and what people sometimes call like incarnational ministry. Hmm. And so there's always been a high emphasis on being there, being physically present, worshiping together, uh, participating, not just as a spectator, but as a worshiper. And I could understand where another kind of worship that was more focused on on putting on a show that you could watch, um, that you are just an audience member, that your only real participation is like singing along, that that could translate well to a live stream only environment. But to me, it seemed like what we did would never translate at all. And it would be a kind of death blow to to even try Mm. to make that work. And so we embraced this path reluctantly. (laughs) And for a couple of months, we had live stream only services. The benefit was it allowed us not to cancel any of those services. The services still happen. People were able to worship, albeit in a, in a very, um, let's say, irregular way, mm-hmm. but it was possible to do it. In, in fact, um, since March of 2020, we've not canceled a single service, which is a first. Usually we have snow cancellations or things like that. And so Live streaming has made it possible for us to do services uh, throughout this period. That's positive. And we've gotten a little bit better, I think, at making it all um, transparent, you know, so that when you're in the sanctuary, you're not really conscious of the idea that there's a, a live stream mm-hmm. taking place. You know, we're, we're conscious of the people who are not able to be with us, but we're not conscious of like the apparatus of it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, um, before the pandemic, we had a camera, you know, in the back of the room so that in the nursery and other parts of the church, you could see what was happening in the sanctuary. And, and one of my sort of uh, dictates 
And when we put that camera in was that we wouldn't like record what was going on. We wouldn't put it online because I didn't want it to become a a focal point. Mm. I didn't want to start thinking about, you know, how to change what we're doing so that it, it looks better on camera or it makes more sense to someone who's not there. Um, All of that again was just to me alien to who we are and how we worship as a church but of course, I had to quickly mm-hmm. make peace with the necessity and find a way to 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 do this that minimized the downside. Right. And and hopefully that's what we've done. What I think I hear you saying now is that it's almost like Grace Our Church moving to a digital format was never supposed to work. That there's something about the way our church exists in this incarnational way, like you say that just isn't compatible with that format in that that's okay. And and on the flip side, that we would be somewhat concerned if say when the pandemic hit, the live stream service was the exact same or something about the, you know, there wasn't really much of a change because this was kind of already how our church felt all along. Right. And I think that's been a great fear during this time. A lot of people have worried that if church is available via live stream, why would anybody ever go in person? And honestly, that was not a concern that I had because I felt like if you were at grace before the pandemic, you already didn't want church as a sort of spectator sport. (laughs) Like you wanted to worship this way Otherwise, you wouldn't be here, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we experienced more of was people who were just frustrated with what the live stream couldn't do, right? So I think, you know, for some people and some churches experiencing a worship service via live stream may have not felt that different. Um, I'm sure for everyone there were there were some differences, mm-hmm. but but for us, it was very different. Um, a lot is left out. So I think in one sense, it's not that like we feared that our worship wouldn't translate to live stream, but thankfully it did. Uh, the reality is it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it what you experience via live stream, and, and I know because I've been on that end of it uh, at least once, <laughs> um, it's not the same thing. It's not like being there. It's not like participating with the congregation. Um, as a result, I don't think there really are any people who were part of Grace who are now like, gosh, I don't want to go back to the sanctuary. I'd much rather catch the live stream. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people who, because of their circumstances or their, their um, you know, risk factors, make use of the live stream because they need to. but. I don't think that's happening out of preference. I get that. I get that. Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition recently published an article with the New York Times actually called What We Lose When We Live Stream Church. What I take him to be saying in this pretty short article is that he's he's looking back on the last year and a half like like we are and he's noticing that the live stream service lends itself to some churches more than others, basically. Right. But that he's worried 
that it could become a replacement for assembly. And I think he's making a somewhat of an argument for the assembly of the church and the essential nature of that assembly and just gathering together as as a people. Yeah, I think that's a fair point because you you have to keep in mind that what happens when you watch a broadcast of a church service isn't church. Like it's it's the church doesn't assemble remotely. Mm-hmm. If we all stay home and watch the sanctuary via live stream, what we're doing is not the same thing as what was happening before, mm. right? So there is something essential to being the church that requires the assembling of ourselves together, that uh, bodily existence of the church. Probably the best example of the necessity would be the administration of the sacraments. Yeah, You know, I'm always making this analogy, but you could just stay home and download a Tim Keller sermon and listen to your favorite um, worship album, and you might have better preaching and better music uh, than you would have if you showed up on any given Sunday. But the thing you wouldn't have and couldn't have would be the, the participation together in the liturgy and the participation together in the administration of the sacraments. Um, and I would argue, too, that, that even the hearing of the word isn't the same on an individual mm. basis, that listening to a recording of a sermon isn't the same thing as being present for that proclamation in, in, in real life. But, but you see what I'm saying? Like there, there is something about assembly that's necessary. And I think that's what Hansen is talking about in his editorial is, is basically that has the church found itself in a situation where the sudden advent of live stream feels like an unqualified good, like nothing is lost and, and a lot is gained? And if so, if it's possible for a lot of us to be thinking, oh, this is a good thing, have we lost touch with what the church really is? Right. You know, and, that, and that's from a Presbyterian standpoint, from a historic Christian standpoint, you might say, well, yes, but this is asking the question like far too late, like for sort of the, the, the big tents, non-denominational evangelical kind of church where, you know, for a generation or more, we've been stripping out anything that looks like historic Christian practice. Mm. We've already kind of whittled church down to the bare minimum. So I think, you know, he makes a few points about how uh, live streaming is more advantageous or beneficial to churches that have lost or or eliminated those aspects of historic Christian worship. You know, he says the convenience of ubiquitous live streaming largely benefits larger churches at the expense of smaller churches without dynamic preachers and cutting edge music. Of course, we don't know anything about churches without dynamic preachers or cutting edge music. Nothing. Despite being small. I mean, we obviously have those things. But um, <laughs> but he says add in HD quality, multi-camera production, and it's not a fair fight for viewers looking to upgrade their digital experience. Mm. And and right there, you you see kind of the hint of the the problem, right? Because we're not talking about worshipers. We're talking about 
consumers. We're talking right. about people watching a show. And and I completely agree that if if all churches is a show that we watch, then the more money you invest in production values and that kind of thing, I guess the <laughs> the bigger the advantage. Uh, that's just not what church is. You know, he goes on to say live streaming also benefits churches with more symbolic views on the sacraments of communion and baptism at the expense of churches with more formal participatory liturgy. In other words, you know, if, if you're not doing communion in your services more often than not, if you're not uh, putting a big emphasis on baptism, communion, on, on physical sort of incarnational presence, then people aren't really going to be conscious of what's being left out mm -hmm. because the church services they were attending in person were mainly, you know, a set of worship songs followed by some content delivery. And that's what the live stream is as well. And so nothing's missing except maybe you seeing your friends. Um, so he, he phrases it as a benefit to those churches. Yes. But you could flip it on its head and ask the question if it, if it really is a benefit, like you just said, that they've left out some of these essential aspects of worship. Right. Yeah. And so I think it, it's the live streaming question gives you kind of a window into what I think is a, a bigger question having to do with, you know, what worship is and what we should be doing in worship and the kind of worship that benefits from being seen through the lens I would argue is a very impoverished understanding of what real Christian worship is. Mm. Um, I'm not saying it shouldn't ever happen. I think necessity and common sense dictate that, uh, that yeah, it's, it's a wonderful blessing to be able to do this. And we were very grateful to be able to live stream during a period like this. At the same time, we were always conscious of, what we weren't doing and what was left out and always yearning to get back to like the, let's say the full orbed experience of worship. So a related question to this, I will uh, introduce with a, a story from today. I got home from work and checked the mail and I had a one envelope, one letter, and it was addressed by hand. It said resident in my address. <laughs> and I took it in, opened, opened the letter, and it was from a Jehovah's Witness, um, somebody in our neighborhood, I guess, and was inviting me to this. I think it was a it was a live stream conference, sort of a thing. Come enjoy this conference that I've been benefiting from, and <laughs> yeah, yes, I yeah. got the same, same letter. letter. Okay, yeah, same one. And it just got me thinking about, I mean, this article as well, because because Hanson too, he, he talks a little bit about evangelism and the possibility of live streaming to reach more people obviously the internet is not limited by capacity like a building is is there any argument at all to be made for live streaming as a kind of evangelical tool to reach more people or to give people kind of a a taste of what your your service might be like to sample it so to speak before visiting or is that all just falling flat, do you think? Well, no. I mean, I'm I'm certainly not arguing that there's no utility to live streaming and or that live streaming is bad. I mean, we're doing it. I think there's a lot of benefits to doing it. Uh, one of the reasons why I feel like I can do it with a high degree of confidence 
is that it's no comparison to the real thing. So there's no competition. I'm not concerned that if we're live streaming, people are going to stay home. Um, I just think there's too big a difference between watching it remotely and being a part of it. And I know that just from talking with people who have had to use the live stream that they would rather be able to be in the sanctuary participating in worship. So the fact that they're not able to be for whatever reason, um, I'm grateful that there can be that connection, even if it's not as full a connection as we would like. So I think that's beneficial. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly we've had people who've, you know, joined our community who in, in this day and age are now able to go and look at what our services are like before they've even attended one, before they've even moved to town in some cases. And I think there is a benefit to that, you know, especially for a church like ours, where worship is different from what you might uh, be used to, being able to see how it works, you know, and and get a feel for it Mm -hmm. before you show up can be helpful, I think. So I see a lot of positives I just don't think there's any technology that we can embrace wholeheartedly, like uncritically, like there's always a downside. And so you've got to be conscious of that and and actively work to mitigate the downsides in order to, you know, not not let things snowball, mm-hmm. like not let things get out of control. And I think especially where technology is concerned, uh, churches can get really excited about the idea of you know, packaging what they do as content to be distributed around the world. Uh, We create a lot of quote unquote content, but it's important, I think, at the first instance that we preserve the, the, the larger integrity of the worship experience, if we can call Mm -hmm. it that, the, the, the service itself and, and not begin to treat it or anything that we do as simply like an occasion for the creation of stuff that we can put out there. Right. If that makes sense. It, it does. I recently heard the distinction between evangelism and discipleship. You could think of live streaming as a tool for evangelism to get the word out, to get the content out far and wide. But I think that we could argue that discipleship is really even the goal of evangelism, that that discipleship is the goal too of the church itself. And that that's not something necessarily that can just happen through content distribution. Right. And I think, yeah, if you were weighing those two things, you know, evangelism and discipleship, um, I would want to say, let's put evangelism under the heading of discipleship yeah, because they're really not two different things. I mean, discipleship is making worshipers and the goal of, of sharing the gospel is to bring people into a right reconciled relationship with their creator so that they can worship him mm-hmm. as they were made to do. And so really evangelism isn't a separate thing. And when we start thinking of like, I can do evangelism and then maybe downstream from that, do some discipleship as well. What we're doing is taking evangelism and making it like a transactional thing, right? You know that we're we're just putting the the word out there, looking for 
uh, a decision to be made, and hopefully later down the line that person will also connect with the church or whatever. I think bring them into the church, bring them into the community, uh, start that process of discipleship, and naturally as a process of that, evangelization takes place. Hmm. All right, well, last question about live streaming. Say that I wake up on a Sunday morning and I'm just feeling tired. Um, I'm just feeling maybe a little bit out of things and I would maybe just like to stay home and watch the service and call it good. What would be your pastoral wisdom? Yeah. So my pastoral wisdom would be that using the live stream by necessity is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not going to church and using the live stream as an excuse is a bad thing. And it's a bad thing because of what's left out. You know, the mm-hmm. things we've been talking about before. Uh, yeah, you can watch what's happening in the sanctuary. It's better, far better to be a part of what's happening. And that's the the that's how the means of grace work. You know, they, they don't operate uh, through the Internet. They, they operate in the body of Christ. And so live stream is great. It's not a good excuse not to gather together, as as Hansen says, physically, corporately. That is something that we've actually been commanded to do. It's something that we were made for. Uh, to be honest with you, when you walk into the sanctuary at Grace, one of the the things you notice is kind of the screenlessness of what we're doing. You know, you're accustomed to to churches being very high tech, and and we're self consciously not that way, because we need a sanctuary from that, from that information overload. We need to get off the wheel of constant screens so that we can focus ourselves in this spiritual place, in this spiritual time. We need a Sabbath, in other words, a rest from that rhythm. Well, that's also true, though, for the church service itself, Mm. Part of going to church, gathering together, is coming out of your ordinary world. It's taking a Sabbath rest from those usual rhythms and gathering together into this different space, like devoting this time where you're physically present and focused on your Creator. That's fundamental to worship. So Everything that I've said about the live stream being good, I totally believe, and we continue to live stream to this day, and we'll so we'll do so in the future. Uh, but, but just always keep in mind, it is not the full experience of worship, and it is not what Christ has bequeathed to us, and we want the full experience. When we are denied it for a season, it should make us long for it all the more and want to come back together and enjoy it. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks, Cameron, and thank you for listening. It's not lost on us that podcasting is another new technology without which you couldn't be listening in on conversations like this. We hope you'll join us next time. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. 
To find out more about us online or to worship with us in person, visit graceforsufalls.org.